Man, what a great morning, amen? Woo! I could start a sermon every time like that. I would gladly give up 10 or 15 or 25 minutes of my sermon every week. Uh, That would be amazing, well worth it. Man, what a beautiful picture of the gospel, is it not? Man, dead to sin, like I'm dead, I'm done, but raised to life in Christ. It's such an amazing truth, uh, one that I pray doesn't grow old in your heart, where you never get complacent to that. Uh, Such a beautiful uh, time this morning. Uh, If you're a guest here, welcome. My name is Derek, one of the teaching pastors here. I bounce around between this campus and Cyprus. Uh, It's an honor for me to be with you today. Thank you for taking some time out uh, of your weekend to join us in celebration and worship and getting around the presence of God, asking him to speak to us today. Well, today we're going to continue in the book of James, so I hope you uh, are ready to duck and cover because James likes to throw some punches, as we've seen uh, throughout the text. Today we're going to be in James chapter 4, and so if you have a Bible, go ahead and open there. Now, I'm going to confess to you as your pastor that I do not have today's lesson figured out as far as practicality, how it works out in the real world. I have learned a little bit, but not everything. That's because today we're going to talk about judging, judging. Let me ask you a question. Uh, Have you ever been judged before? Go ahead and raise your hand if you've been judged before. Uh, Not necessarily in a courtroom, uh, but just judged in general. Uh, Now, let me ask you a question. How many of you have ever judged somebody else? Now, this is going to take you to be honest. Go ahead. Have you ever judged somebody else? Uh, I'm judging the people that are not raising their hand because I know you've judged somebody. Uh, If you've ever been judged, you know what that's like. Uh, When I was a little kid, um, I went to a babysitter, and she wasn't the nicest lady. Uh, God bless her soul. I pray blessing and favor over her, but she wasn't the nicest lady. She fed me bologna every day with ketchup on it. She never asked me if I like ketchup, so today it, like, makes my stomach sick to think about ketchup on anything, but she served that to me. And the other thing that she did, uh, she began to judge me with her kids. Um, Now, this is going to be maybe not quite you're used to on uh, on the Sunday morning, but uh, she would actually blame me for peeing outside of the toilet as a little kid. So she would judge me, and, and it wasn't me, it was her son, but I would get judged, and then I would have the consequence of that action. And so at some point, my mom finally kind of got wind of her not being the best babysitter, and she said, today's your last day, Derek. Uh, we're going to get a different babysitter. And so uh, wouldn't you know it, I had to use the restroom at the end of the day. So my little elementary body went in there. I had not known Jesus at this time. So, uh, you know, I was just replaying all the judgment and the, man, the bologna and ketchup. Oh. And so I said, this is my last chance. And so I just unloaded everywhere. Like there was not a fire in the toilet. The fire was the whole place. And so I just said, I'm going to get it out. And so everywhere. So I, I, I responded to judgment and I got the last laugh. Now, that is a terrible way to respond if you're a Christian. <laughs> terrible way to respond if you're a Christian. But like I said, I didn't know Jesus yet, so I was still in the process of getting to know him. So there's grace there. That's not what we're talking about today. Not even close. But I thought it was a good story about judgment. <laughs> Open your Bible to James chapter 4. We're going to look at two, pass- or two verses that speak to judgment. Verse 11 Chapter 4, do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. 
But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is only one lawgiver and judge, he who is able to save and destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? Man, this is some great insight, some challenging insight. Like I said, I don't have it all figured out, but, but what the high level of what James is saying, we've got to remember the context of these two verses. He had just spent most of the chapter talking about pride and humility, how, how God gives grace and blessing to those that humble themselves, yet he opposes the God of love. He opposes those who walk in pride because of intention is to draw them back to him. His intention of opposition is always to bring restoration. And so we see on the back end of this, this whole section of scripture James is speaking about, he's saying pride and humility, pride and humility. And so when we see the first few verses here, or verse 11, we see that James is saying that we should not be those that speak evil or judge in pride. We do this with slander, with gossip. It's whenever we put ourselves above the person that we're judging. He's saying that's not how we should operate. It also happens when we start to judge the law. Now, this is an interesting way to think about it. Now, remember, he's speaking to a bunch of Jews who knew the law very well. And these same Jews, they had grown up in a system where they took what God said and they added all these laws, up to like 613, I think, laws. So they were used to saying, man, this is what God said, but now there's all these additional laws. And so what James is saying here is if you begin to judge people and look at the law like it's inadequate, and you add all these demands upon people, all these other things that God has not said. If I add these other things and I begin to judge them, what I've actually done is I've judged the law. I've judged it to not be enough. And in doing so, I actually judge people so I'm not only the law giver, but I'm the judge. And so that's what James is kind of addressing here. And he says, whoa, whoa, don't do that because there's only one lawgiver. And there's only one judge, and by the way, it's not you. It's Jesus, the only one who can save and destroy. It's Jesus. And then he says this line at the end. He says, but who are you to judge your neighbor? Who are you to judge your neighbor? Uh, when you're thinking about this idea of judging, we come to think about the words of Jesus that had been spoken maybe to you before, Matthew 7, 1. Jesus says, judge not that you may not be judged. Have you ever heard, had somebody tell you, hey, don't judge me? Has anybody ever heard that to somebody say, man, you're addressing something, you've got an opinion, and they say, hey, bro, back up, don't judge me? Well, they used to use this verse. And so we see this, who are you to judge your neighbor? Judge not, and you won't be judged. So the question is, is it ever all right to judge? to pass on an opinion that has a consequence. Is it ever all right to do that? That's the question that we have today. And, and we see James, he says, uh, do not judge or, or who are you to judge? But what's interesting is James has spent the entire book, one, two, three, four chapters, judging you and the readers. Now, have you found that interesting, right? Do not judge your neighbor. Yet he is, in fact, writing, pointing out sin in the readers. In essence, he is judging. He points out that you should not just be a hearer of the word, but a doer of the word. He says, don't give preferential treatment to those that have a lot of money in your church, yet you don't even talk to those that have a little money. He's calling out their sin in their life. He says, faith without works is dead. You show me your faith without works, I'll show you my faith with my works. He goes on to say that you, you have an evil tongue. It's full of evil. And with it, you curse one moment, yet in the next moment, you bless. Like, how can that be? That should not be so. James is judging. 
And then just two weeks ago, Jeremy brought an amazing sermon where he said, man, the, the beginning was one of the most toughest, challenging verses. It says, you adulterous people. If that's not judging a group of people, I don't know what it is. You adulterous people, you have made yourself a friend with the world. And because of that, you're an enemy of God. This all leads up to James saying, who are you to judge your neighbor? Is that conflict a little bit? What we see here in the text is that there is a time to judge and there's a time not to judge. There is a righteous, right judgment, but there's also a wrong type of judgment. And what James is pointing out is this wrong type of judgment. This wrong type of judgment we see is what he calls speaking evil. That's where we criticize. That's where we defame. That's where we denigrate. That's where we slander. That's where we use someone else's fault or their sin to promote ourselves. This kind of speaking, he says, should not be. This is the wrong kind of judgment. Now, the word he uses for judgment, because he says don't speak evil, but then he also says don't judge. This word he's saying is do not pass final judgment on anyone. That you are not going to decide my salvation. You are not going to condemn me. You are at least not supposed to condemn me. This is of God. This is why he is the lawgiver and the judge, not you. And so this is what... James is working about saying that this is the wrong kind of judgment that we should not do. And this kind of judgment, it always originates in pride and self-righteousness. Always. But there is a a right type of judgment as well. Uh, There's a kind of judgment that we see in the scriptures where we are to confront one another's sin. And you're like, man, don't judge me. I'm a a Christian. Don't, Don't judge what I do. But the scripture would actually say, actually, uh, as your brother, I'm actually called to confront you in your sin. That's why Nathan had to go to David. Remember David? Great king, a man after God's own heart. He slept with a woman. He killed her husband, lied about it, and thought he got off of it. And then Nathan was sent to him and said, hey, bro, what are you doing? And David realizes it, and he repents, and he cries out to God. You see, Nathan, he confronted David. He was called to by God. And we see this throughout the scripture. When I confront somebody, this right kind of judgment, the desire is not to make the person look or feel bad, but to point them to Jesus. It's gotta be the heart. It's always purposed in restoration of the person. Not to make them feel bad, not to make them look bad in a crowd, but to restore them eventually back into right relationship with God. This is the type of good judgment, the confrontation that we are called to. Now, now we see this uh, throughout the scriptures. We see this in Jonah, and we're not going to go to the verses today, but Jonah, when, when God said, hey, Jonah, go to these people in Nineveh. They, they are evil, and I see their evil. Go to them and proclaim to them their evilness. The purpose in God in sending Jonah was to restore the people to repentance. Do you see the heart behind it? Purpose. But, but we know Jonah, he ran the other way. When he finally got there, he did proclaim their sin, and they actually believed and repented, and Jonah was ticked off because his heart was to condemn that whole group of people. He was actually mad at God for being so gracious and having so much mercy and having so much love to them. He was frustrated because Jonah was condemning the whole people of Nineveh, not wanting them to experience God's grace. Now, we can look at Jonah and say, man, what a chump. Like, who would do that? But, but I think we need to be careful that we, looking at Jonah, don't operate with the Jonah-type spirit. Because I think in the church, sometimes we do this, and maybe we do it in the name of Jesus, yet we still write off whole groups of people. Now, how many of you consider, maybe, uh, 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 maybe not you, maybe the person on Fox News or somebody else, 
have, have written off and condemned a whole group of people called the homosexual community. Maybe you're like, man, they should not even be around. Why are we listening to them? I don't want God to bless them. I don't want God to give them grace. They don't deserve it. They should just be wiped out. That's the Jonah spirit. Passing condemnation, wishing that a whole group of people could not ever experience the love of God. There's some of us probably in the room that are there today. Or maybe your group is the, the, the people that follow the Muslim faith. And that's a really popular opinion right now in the news if you don't watch Politics, man, it's all about, man, wipe them out, let's kill them all, ship them out of here, don't let them in our country. And I'm not getting into politics, but we've gotta be careful that we don't make the Muslim people the enemy because if we make the Muslim people the enemy, we miss out on the true enemy, which is Satan. You see, if we, if we rounded up, if, if this is your thinking, if we, if we rounded up every Muslim that followed Muhammad and we burned them all and killed them, if we did that, guess what? Sin is still in this world. Satan is prowling around, seeking which to kill, steal, and destroy, apart from the Muslims that we sometimes think are the bad guys. See, we've got to be careful that we're not condemning entire groups of people like Jonah, or maybe like you are the person at your work. <laughs> maybe they forget to put the seat down. Maybe they take the last coffee cup, of, cup of coffee and they don't put on a new one, or maybe they just disagree with you, and it ticks you off. And you don't, there's no way in you you could pray for them that God would bless them, that he would encourage them. If you can't pray for somebody the same way you pray for somebody else, you gotta be careful that you might operate in the same spirit that Jonah was. The spirit of condemnation. And what James is saying here is you don't have the right to condemn to eternal death. You don't have the right to decide if somebody's gonna receive the grace of God or not. And so we operate in this, and today, like I said, I don't have it all figured out. I've looked at a ton of scripture, read a lot of commentaries, listened to some people on both sides of the fence, and today, so I thought I would just put before you four questions. If you say, man, I don't know if I'm judging rightly. Am I judging wrongly? What do I do? And so here's four questions if you've got somebody in your head that you're like, man, I've been judging that person. Maybe rightly, maybe wrongly, but here's some four questions you can run through. Number one, does the person follow Jesus? 1 Corinthians 5.12, it goes through a bunch of things and it gets to 5.12 and it says, God will judge those outside of the church. So the first question we gotta ask, if I'm struggling with somebody, if I feel like I gotta confront somebody about their sin, first question is, are they associated with Jesus? You see, if we look to Jesus, his example, his perfect example, we know that Jesus realized that sinners sin. Newsflash. The people that don't know Jesus aren't going to act like they know Jesus. Maybe that just is freeing for some of us to embrace that. that. There's people in this world who are under the world systems. They are operating in that system for a reason. They don't know Jesus. So we shouldn't be surprised when they don't act like Jesus. But what Jesus did to all those people outside of the system, what did he say? He said, come, come to me. I love you. I want to speak truth over you. I want to speak your identity over you. I want to tell you about the Father. That's why I came is to show the Father to you. He said, come. Now, who did Jesus confront or judge more than those guys? It was those that were in the religious system. Those that said, I, I am part of the thing the Father is doing. And they were using their system, religious system, and their clout and their authority to push others down. To be able to push themselves up. And those are the ones that Jesus confronted all the time. And I looked throughout the scriptures, and, and maybe you can email me if, if you find another one, but I didn't find one spot where Jesus confronted somebody 
who wasn't part of the religious system about their sin. Now, here's the difference, though. Jesus didn't condone sin ever. No, ever hear that. Jesus never condoned sin, and he never participated in sin. But when the adulterous woman came, he said, come here. Everybody else is like, we got to kill her. That's what the law says. Jesus says, come here. He said, you who have not sinned, cast the first stone, and one by one they all left. And when Jesus is sitting there with this woman that was caught in the act of adultery, he said, where are your accusers? Neither do I condemn you. Now he said, go and sin no more. See, Jesus says, come, come. But never does he contone sin, and never does he participate in it, and so we should not either. And so the first thing is, do the person, does the person follow Jesus? Number two is, do I have influence in this person's life that I'm judging? It's easy to throw sticks and stones from a mile away. But the scriptures tell us very clearly in Matthew 18, when a brother comes to you and sins against you, the, the answer is not to go to your community group and say, hey guys, this is what happened to me. Let's pray about what we should do about it. That's not the process we see in Scripture. The process we see in Scripture is when a brother sins against you, you, the one that was sinned against, you go to that person and address it. You confront them. See, the context of me, the one that was sinned against, going to the sinner is the context of relationship. You see, it's hard enough to confront somebody. It's really, really hard to confront somebody, but it's even harder when there is no trust. And without a relationship, there's going to be very, very little trust between you. And so we've got to ask, do I know this person? Do I have some influence in the person? The more I know someone, the more I trust the trust that we have, the more trust that I have, the easier it is to give and receive confrontation about sin. It goes both ways. So we've got to say, first off, do I have influence over the person's life that I am judging. Number three, am I judging them against a human standard or God's standard? Now, this is a really important distinction between preference and sin. See, what the Jewish people of the time they were doing, they would add all of these laws because it was almost a preference to make them even better. And so they would add all these things and expect everyone to fall in line with all this. Yet God had only called them to this little piece. And so we've got to be careful in our own lives that we haven't tacked on expectations of how somebody should act or shouldn't act, should say or not say, that's not clearly defined in Scripture, and then hold them accountable to it. We've got to be careful that we don't do that. In addition to that, we've also got to be careful that the bar at which we're judging people is not our life, but the life of Jesus. Because when I start looking at people and saying, man, I should confront that person in their sin because I've got this all worked out, because I don't struggle with that sin. I should go confess or confront to them. You see, what that breeds is self-righteousness and pride. And we know that James is saying, don't let that be the case. And so the third question is, am I judging them against the standard that God has set or is it a standard that Derek has set? It's very important that we see the difference there. And the fourth question does my judgment benefit me in any way? Does my judgment benefit me in any way? If pointing out someone else's sin benefits me, makes me look better, makes me feel better about myself, this is what James would say. It's evil. He goes back in chapter four and says, or chapter three, and he talks 
about selfish ambition and bitter jealousy, that those two things, when they are there, it is evidence of an earthly and demonic faith. And so if I I am going around and I am confronting people in their sin, I'm the sin police and I'm doing it so I can feel better about myself or I'm doing it because I feel like I've arrived and they're not quite there, the heart of that is evil and I should not step into that. The whole point James is making in this section is that we should not judge and speak evil out of pride. But instead, he says, we should operate in humility. And when we walk in humility, all these things take care of ourselves. So really, the questions I ask you are more, how are you doing with humility than how you're doing with judging? Because humility, right understanding of who God is and who I am, that takes care of my judgment if I'm operating there. But if you're sitting there today and you're like, man, Derek, I I just struggle with judgment. Everybody is lukewarm around me. I'm the only one radical in this place. I caution you. And I want to point you to Matthew chapter 7, the last passage we're going to turn to. So if today you you struggle with a critical spirit, one that judges everyone, feels like you've got to be the one that calls out sin, I want to first tell you that's not a spiritual gift. It might be a a demonic spiritual gift, but it's likely not from the Father. So if you're struggling with criticality today, maybe you just judge every single person, you can want to condemn people for their actions, listen to verse three in chapter seven. Jesus is speaking once again, right after where he says, judge not that you not be judged. Verse three, he says, why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there's a log in your eye? You hypocrite. First, take the log out of your eye, and then you will see clearly enough to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Now, we've got a log that's in my eye, and you've got a speck in your eye. Now, this is what it's not. It's not saying that your sin is less than my sin. It's not weighing out sin is worse than not. The, the log, the picture of this big honking thing in my eye, like a po- telephone pole sticking out of my eye, the purpose of that is saying that is what's most critical and important and urgent in my life, Derek. And so he says, there's a, there's a huge thing in your eye. You've got to take care of that. And so to me, that big thing, no matter if it's a little sin or a small sin, that's most urgent to me because when I stand before God, I have to hear the judgment for my sin. And so he says, before you go to a brother or sister, humble yourself. Recognize that you've got some sin in your life. Maybe it's sin where you're choosing. Maybe you're actually making bad decisions that you know are not of God. Or maybe today you're actually making choices where you're hearing God speak, yet you are not choosing to follow him. Both are sin. He says, look at your own life first. He didn't say never to go to your brother. It never says that in there. Don't read that into it. It says, first, take the log out of your eye. Recognize with humility that grace is what saved you, not Derek. Then you can go to your brother when you're in a place of humility. You see, the purpose of Jesus saying this is to get us to a humility that gets us to a place where then we can go to a brother and sister and confront sin. Because when I recognize the sin in my life, I also must recognize the grace in my life. When I recognize what Jesus did for me on the cross, how today I still stand before him as a righteous, holy, 
piece of his priesthood, that I'm his son, that you're his daughter, when I recognize that in spite of myself and my sin, when I see that my understanding of my grace goes way up and I realize that it's nothing that I can do, it's purely what God does. See, that gets me to a place of humility and then and only then am I in a place to go to a brother, to go to a sister, to address and confront sin. So we see here that James is calling us not to not judge, but to not judge with pride. To be a person of humility that is willing to walk with a brother, to step in when needed for the purpose of restoration. You know, one of the greatest things that I get to do as a pastor is to meet with uh, young um, people that have just gotten engaged. And it's one of my joys to do premarital counseling. And if you're here today, I, I swear a couple, I'm not talking about you, uh, but maybe I am. Um, I usually sit down with them the first time and I hear about how they know Jesus because I want to know their story. What's their faith like? Where did they get where they are? And then we get to a point in the first meeting where I say, what are the top two or three things you want in your marriage? It's a great question to ask if you're thinking about getting engaged or maybe if you are married, you've never thought about like, what do we want to be known for? And I always ask them that. And because I'm a pastor, likely they always say, number one thing, we want a marriage based on God. Amen. And then they give me a list of a bunch of other things. Now, at some point, though, in the conversation, uh, I start hearing about maybe they're sleeping together, or maybe they're living together, or maybe they're making some really, really bad choices. That is sin, very straightforward sin. And I have a decision to make. Am I going to step into that, or am I not going to step into that? Now, if we go through those questions, number one, they've already told me they're a believer. So question number one, yes. Do I have influence in their life? They've invited me, actually, to have influence in their life. And so usually what I do in as much humility as I can, I take that paper and I turn it around to them and said, hey, your number one desire for your marriage is that God is number one. Help me understand why that doesn't look like that today. And then I tell them, listen, when you get married, a switch doesn't go off that makes you more holy. I just saw a wife nudge her husband because she said, yeah, that's right. Like a switch doesn't come on that makes me want to be a spiritual leader, which is what the men say when I sit down with them. I want to be a spiritual leader. That is so good, but it doesn't start the day you get married. It starts today. And so I just, I look at him and say, help me understand. I'm not saying this out of judgment. I'm not condemning you, but I've been there. I've made decisions. I've made poor decisions when I, before I got married, why I was engaged. I've made really bad decisions, why I've been married. So I come to you in humility because my hope and purpose is for you to know God greater and for your marriage to really know God, not just talk about God. You see the difference in confrontation and judging? I come to this with humility and I say, hey, this is the truth of God. This isn't Derek's plan. This isn't Derek's agenda. This is, this is what God says. He'll honor you if you follow him. And I give it to them. They got to make a decision. What are they going to do? See, James is calling us today not to ever make a decision, not to ever confront, but to never do it in pride. A big difference, a big difference. Now, here's my last piece of advice to you. If you say, man, I, I'm struggling still. I, I get it, Derek. Here's my last piece of advice. When in doubt, shut your mouth and pray. When you're not sure, am I judging this person rightly? If it's any gray area, then shut your mouth. Don't go talk to your community group. Don't go talk on social media. Shut your mouth and pray. 
pray the same prayers that you're praying for yourself over that person because that will tell you is are you condemning them or not? When in doubt, shut your mouth and pray. And on that moment, I'm gonna shut my mouth and we're gonna pray. Lord, thank you so much that you've given James a platform that the words that you inspired him to write are still relevant today. Lord, I ask that you would uh, work in my life to humble me, to give me the courage to step out and to confront when you call me to confront, but also the humility to say, come here, I love you, come here. To invite others that believe and think different than me to the table. May that be known as for Bayou City Fellowship. That we'd be a humble people, that we would not be a people that go around saying, you, 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 that we would say, hey, look at Jesus. He's got a better option for you. Lord, forgive us. Stir our hearts to ask you for forgiveness even today where we've judged wrongly. We thank you for your grace that mercy triumphs over judgment 10 days out of 10, 365. It's in your powerful name, Jesus, we pray. Amen.